Pastor Jimmy cannot be here, uh, so he asked me to, to speak, and I am very grateful uh, that I get the opportunity to do this. Uh, I'm very grateful that Sarah and I have been brought here. Uh, we've had just a great time so far. Uh, God has been working in amazing ways. Uh, we've seen three salvations, I think, in the past month, month's time or so, which is awesome. Amongst our student ministry, yes, amen. It has been good news, for sure, and God is definitely blessed. Uh, that's right, that's right, God is good. So, that's enough of me introducing myself. By the way, I'm Caleb, if you haven't been here before, I'm the student pastor, um, which is why I'm so afraid right now. Uh, and this is, <laughs> this is my lovely wife, Sarah, she was just singing this last song and has a, a voice of an angel, so... But anyway, so I want, to, I want to get into the sermon today, and I want to paint a picture for you this morning. And so go with me here for a minute, and you're going to find that it's going to be really easy to visualize this. But imagine a place where many ideas exist concerning religion and truth, many different gods, many different ways of living. All right, now I want you to imagine that this place has one rule concerning those beliefs and those practices. And that rule is simply this, you may believe in whatever you'd like, but only if you never denounce someone else's religion or set of truths. The only religion you may denounce is the one that is exclusive in nature, much like Christianity. We proclaim that there is one God, that He is Lord of all creation, and that all other little g-gods are false and powerless. Does that sound familiar? Ring any bells? It should. And you can probably see where I'm going with this, but this is the context that the Apostle John is writing to in this letter, in the first letter of John. And what makes this letter so valuable to us today, I believe, is not just the fact that it's in the Bible, which is God's word to man, but that this context that John is speaking to is so similar to the context we're dealing with today. You see, America has become the smorgasbord of ideas and worldviews. This hasn't just happened. It's been happening over a long span of time now. And today we struggle to define truth and, and the basis for morality. We would like to think in a postmodern society that we can make up our own truth, that truth is relative. Uh, that is to say, I'm, I'm borrowing a little bit from an uh, illustration I heard not too long ago. Uh, that is to say that if a man were pulled over by a cop for running through a red light, this man could simply look at the officer after being pulled over and say, look, officer, I understand that, you know, red for you means stop. And that's cool. That's gravy. But what's true for me is that red means go. So I'm just going to be on my way now. I'm really sorry for the confusion. And then, you know, they, you know, high five and okay, cool. You know, that's the way. And it sounds absurd. It sounds ridiculous and it should, but that is where relativism ultimately ends up. The problem, though, the bigger problem, is that this relativism, this idea that truth is relative, has found its way into the church. The perfect example of that is that we have many professing Christians who claim that it is okay to be gay and a Christian. It's okay to marry someone of the same sex. We have churches that marry these people that have thrown away this doctrine. They've said, they said that God does not say that it's bad for a man and a man or a woman and a woman to get married because they love each other. Now, I'm not going to dive into that too much today because <laughs> we could be here for a long time. And all I would do is just spit and yell and get mad. But uh, there's, you can see where I'm going with this. You can see where I'm going 
so far. So as John writes to these believers, he's reminding them of the truth. He's reminding them and warning them of false teachers and doctrines, idols. And so I pray today that you'll see this text in color as we dive through it. I pray that you see the truth. I pray that you are encouraged to learn the truth, to know the truth, and to defend this truth. And I recognize today that there are some of you here who haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to let you know that it's okay. It's okay for you to be here. As a matter of fact, this message is for you just as much as it is for the believer in the room. And my prayer is that you would hear these words, that you would count the cost of following Christ. Because as we'll see in this text today, Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity I have to stand here before this congregation. Father, you are so good. I pray today that it would not be my words, but that it would be your word that would reign true in this place, that would infiltrate our hearts and our minds, that it would change our lives. So Father, would you open our hearts to that this morning? Father, have your way in this service. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you can see, I'm going to be in the first letter of John, chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 5. If you don't have that with you, I do have the scripture that will be on the screen. And so you're not completely without hope. So that's good. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with verse 5. Verse 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's a pretty straightforward statement that John's making, and it has a very profound truth that many of you have already wrestled with. You already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that first point, that first truth we find in this text is that God is holy. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be holy? It simply means this, that he is perfect, that he's sinless, that unlike us who are sinful, he has not been stained by sin. He has not touched it. He is completely without fault in that area. So, within that, God's holiness, it implies another truth. It gives us another truth. And that truth is this. We cannot, we cannot have fellowship with God and be living in sin at the same time. It is absolutely impossible because God is holy. Now, some of you may have heard me just then. You're saying, well, maybe he's reading a little bit too much into the text, but I want to let you know that I'm not. I'm going to show that to you here in verse 6. It says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there you have it. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. We cannot, we cannot have right relationship and fellowship with God and live in lifestyles of sin at the same time. It is impossible. And so you can see that our lip service, it means absolutely nothing. No matter how many times I get up and say, you know, well, I go to church four times a year. I, I make sure that I say my prayer when we sit down to eat dinner. I make sure that, you know, this happens. I give to this charity and that charity. No matter how much and how loud we scream, it does not matter because we're screaming from darkness. We're screaming from a sinful life. And if we live in that sinful life today, we cannot expect to be in right fellowship with God. We 
cannot expect to be in right fellowship with God. And so, I've got a little illustration for you, and you're probably going to laugh because you're like, hey, this young guy up here, and he's about to, all right, you'll laugh when I get there. How many of you have seen uh, or have used <laughs> one of these? <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. It's a good illustration, I promise. I'm not trying to, you know, connect to my audience or anything. So, <laughs> so this pill organizer, right? The idea of the pill organizer, which I probably don't have to explain, but I will for the sake of our illustration this morning. It is used to organize pills, lo and behold. So you would take a pill out and you would put it in a certain day of the week and you'll have, each day could be different. You may take a different set of pills on this day than you would the next day, uh, but what have you. But it helps you to stay on track and get what you need. And now I'm going to make a bridge for this illustration and come to our spiritual lives. And so if we're honest, a lot of us, some of us, most of us, whatever term you want to use there, I'll let you be the deciding factor in your own life on this, we have two types of pills in our life. We have that, that pill for walking in the Spirit, and we have that pill for walking in the flesh. And so I want you to look here, because this is, this is a problem. We can't serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot continue to build up the flesh and build up the Spirit at the same time. They are contrary to one another. And let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. It says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we cannot simply put our God pills in the Sunday and Wednesday pockets and then put, you know, all our flesh pills. When I say flesh, I mean that which is contrary to God, that which is natural to us. We can't just simply put those in the remaining days of the week. We can't even put them in the same days with the God pills. Does that make sense? So I'm about to make a statement here, and you might even giggle at this, but I hope it sticks with you. We need to flush our pills, the flesh pills, daily. We need to flush the flesh pills daily. We need to put to death the flesh. Right? Good. Look at verse 7 here. The first part of verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So walk in the light. Walk in the truth. This is necessary for righteous fellowship amongst believers. But there's another point to be seen within 1 John here. It's not just that we need to walk in the light so that me and my wife, who is also a Christian, can get along. It is not just so me... And Michael over here can get along. There's a prerequisite to that even. Let's look at verse 3 in chapter 1. It says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. That Talking about the doctrine of God. Talking about the gospel there. So what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So there's that statement. And he goes on, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see it? John's purpose in writing this letter was so that the believers here would, would have fellowship with each other, would have fellowship with them. But in turn, that means they must have right fellowship with God. It is synonymous. You've got to have right fellowship with God and his people requires us to walk in the light, to walk in the truth. And so what does it mean then to walk in the light? How do we walk in the light? And John gives us some answers. I've got a few verses here. We're going to read through those. First uh, John 2.24, it says, As for you... Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. So once again, he's talking about the doctrine of God, talking about the gospel. That word abide, meaning just remain, continue in. So let that continue in you which you have heard from the beginning. 
Talking about the gospel. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. All right. Pretty straightforward. If the gospel abides in us, if we continue in the truth, then we will also continue in relationship with the Son, with Jesus, with God the Father, with God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John 15, 10. Now, this is the gospel of John. This is Jesus' words here. He says, if you keep my commandments... Notice the if statement. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So you see how important it is for us to obey His commandments. We'll get to that in a little bit later here. So 1 John 3.23 says this. This is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. So if I had to put all that together... Summarize all that together. We believe in the truth of who Jesus is, of who he said he is, of who God has revealed himself to be from his word. And we keep those commandments and we abide in his love, abiding in Jesus Christ. And then we will also abide rightly. We will have right fellowship with believers as well as with God. So, in order to walk in the truth, to walk in the light, it is important, it is necessary to believe in the way, the truth, and the life. Being Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why? Why? It's always the question. It's because of these next verses. Let's look at the rest of verse 9, or verse 7 and 9 here. It says, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice that it does not say, And my good works, my abundance of wonderful things that I do in life, cleanse me from sin. No, it says, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, another if statement, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is good, good, good news. We need the gospel. We need Jesus because we cannot atone for our own sin, which we will talk about here in a little bit. But as it says, in the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. He has the ability and the power to do that. Furthermore, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we believe and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we confess that we are sinners, He is faithful. That word meaning trustworthy. It does not say that He might forgive us. He may, by His good grace, forgive us. No, no, no. He is faithful and righteous. What that is saying is that He is not just faithful to do it. He's not just trustworthy to do it, but He Himself can remain holy at the same time that he's saving a sinner just like me. And he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I just said before, Jesus is the answer. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend into your holy hill? Who may stand in your holy place? goes on to say it is him who has clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus is the one who gives us those clean hands and a pure heart. We can't do that on our own. Now some of you may think, I haven't sinned. <laughs> That's okay. You may think that. And we're going to discuss that here in just a second. So the next question might be, you might think this, what have I done that is so bad that I deserve to go to hell for it? Two questions that are asked a lot today. I mean, some of you may have even asked these questions before. You may be asking these questions right now. 
And to those, John will give a response here. We're going to look at verses 8 and 10. It says, if we say that we have no sin, is that first one, I haven't sinned, I have no sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Notice, once again, it does not say that if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving God. Mm -mm. You don't get to pull one over on him. It also doesn't say that if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving Pastor Jimmy, myself, Michael, your small group leader. You're deceiving yourself. More than anybody else, you're deceiving yourself when you say that you have no sin. Furthermore, the truth is not in us. It is not in those who say that they have no sin. Verse 10, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now, this is not John trying to say, Hey, just say that you haven't sinned. You'll get God good there. Boom. God's a liar. No, because as we just established, truth is not relative. It is absolute. So it is God's standards. What he's saying here. It's, it's kind of like this. He's saying that you're making him look like a liar simply because you do not know the truth. You do not know the truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. So to the second question, what have I done that is so bad that I should go to hell? The response is found in our first point. God is holy. God is holy. He's perfect. Without sin. So, in light of that, that means the smallest little lie, the smallest thing, is a foul sight in the eyes of God. So, how many of you, I like to ask this question a lot, I ask it to my youth a lot of times and they'll recognize this, but how many of you, before you first lied to somebody, was taught how to lie? Somebody came up to you and said, hey, this is how you do it, this is how you lie. Can anybody... Raise your hands. Now, my ki- the kids, they, they play with me and say, oh, my, my older brother or sister did that. They taught me how to do that. No, we all know that we just did. We just, you know, because guess what? It's in our nature. It's in our nature since the fall of man that when we do something that we know is wrong because we partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we know that it's wrong. We hide it. We try to hide it, much like Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. It's not something you have to learn. Just kind of do it. Those of you who are parents in the room, I will soon experience this. <laughs> but some of you who are parents in the room might have that time you remember where your kid just lied for the first time and you didn't have to teach him. You didn't have to teach him or her how to do that. It just happens. So, all of us have violated God's holiness. Sin is anything that is contrary to to the holy, perfect character of God. So then, what John is saying here in verses 8 and 10 is true. If we say that we have not sinned, we're lying. We're clearly lying. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him look like a liar and the truth is not in us. And I don't want you to be deceived. Don't be deceived by a world that tries to tell you you get to claim your own truth. You get to claim what's right for you. I mean, how many of you decided that you were going to exist? I I didn't. (laughs) How many parents in here decided that your child was going to exist? You may have wanted a child, but did you get to make 
that happen? Did you get to form this child in the womb? It is God who knew you before you were formed in the womb. It is his standards that are righteous and good. And it is his standards that we look to. His truth that is indeed true. We don't get to make the rules here. So, you may hear me this morning. And you're thinking, man, this guy is just railing. You know, it sounds, it sounds harsh. But it's the truth. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The burden of sin is ours by choice. Friends, let me remind you, it was not God that fell. We fell. And see, this is where the good news of the gospel gets really good. Really good. Because look at verse 1 and 2 in chapter 2. My little children, I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That's good news. So Johnny begins his verse with a very affectionate tone. Very affectionate fatherly tone, saying, my little children. This just simply means that he's talking to believers. He's talking to people that maybe he spread the gospel to, that they came to know Christ because of some of the things that he preached. They were a part of the church. And then John tells him, as he's writing, he says, I write to you these things so that you may not sin. And what do we get from that? Well, sin is serious. Sin is a serious thing. Even as believers, we fall to sin. And I'll make that point. But this is not to say that you get to sin X amount of times per year, And that's just cool and gravy, you know. If you go over X amount of times, you lose your subscription. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. Living in sin, walking in darkness, is not what characterizes a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what characterizes spiritual death. We are dead in our sin if we continue to just simply live in our sin. You cannot know the greatness and the glory of God, of Jesus Christ, and not walk away from it changed. And we notice that John doesn't write here. He doesn't say, you know, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin as much as everyone else. He could have said that. No, he said very explicitly, he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John gets it too, because look at the next part. He says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Guys, an advocate is one who intercedes on behalf of another. So what he's saying to us is, is that we have, we have Jesus who is pleading our case with the Father, and he's doing it perfectly. Isn't that good news this morning? When I gave my life to Christ... He did not take me from being this bad person to being this good person. That's not what the gospel's about. And I think this is something we need to make a point of and know that he didn't do that. He didn't come here to make me morally better than I was. He came to take a dead person. A man dead in my sin. 
in the lifestyle that I was living and make me alive in Christ. And that is what I desire for each and every one of us in this room today, is that we would know the greatness of our God, the beauty of His grace and of His mercy, that although we are sinners, He died for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. Furthermore, John tells us that he is the propitiation of our sins, for our sins. And look at this. It's not just for my sin. It's not just for your sin or or your sin. It's for the sin of the whole world. And this brings to mind John 3.16. And we could probably recite this in, in unison. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's a big if. And we've seen it several times as we've gone through the message and looked at these different passages. If we confess. If we believe. So the good news is that all their sin may be your master this morning. God desires to save you. By grace, through faith. And that not of yourselves. Lest anyone would boast. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. You didn't work for it. And the good news about that is that since we've established that all of us in the room are sinners. What that means is. For me. Christ chose me. In spite of my sin. He does not require you to be grade A. You know. He's not, he's not looking for the great A humans to save. He's not, it's not like that. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, a lot of times it uses the phrase, the least of these. The least of these. So if God is extending to you this gift, this gift of faith for salvation, I beg and plead with you that you would not resist it, that you would not reject this. It is so good. I remember the day after I got saved. I think I've told my, my story before, but I got saved when I was eight years old. At the end of a VBS, so yes, be praying for VBS. Good things happen at VBS. At the end of a VBS, I got saved. And I tell you what, the next day, I've told Sarah this, I've told my parents this. It's the, it's the only time I was fat. I was a fat little kid, about this tall, you know. But I felt like a feather. Like, it, it was ridiculous. The weight that was lifted off of my heart, even at that young of an age, I could tell the biggest difference between living enslaved and in bondage to sin and being set free by Jesus Christ. That's what I want for each and every one of us in this room this morning. So do not resist this. Choose life. Choose to walk in the light of the truth. Some of you, you've been tiptoeing. Some of you, you've been walking through life and you've been thinking, man, I can live a little bit here. I can go to church here, maybe do a little bit of this. Uh, But then no one has to know about this other thing that I'm doing over here in the dark. I don't say that to try to condemn anyone because I've been there. I know what it's like to try to walk that line and try to balance and try to, to think that I'm doing enough good that the bad isn't so bad. But let me tell you, sin is serious. God takes it seriously. He is holy. 
He wants you to repent. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to come know Him for His goodness and His mercy, His grace. So for those of you this morning who have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will walk in the light of the truth and that you will do so so that the whole world can see it. Because that is the call, right? That's the call for us. We go forth in the power of God to preach this gospel, this truth that is not ours. And we're to do it and be unashamed. For the students that went to camp with us, we're to do it unashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Friends, I can't save you, but I know a God who can. It is his power to save. This message this morning, it beckons to two types of people. Those who haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and those who have. And so, as the altar is opened up this morning, I want to leave you with this. Believe in the truth. Defend the truth. And walk in the light. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this wonderful morning. We get to come together and we get to hear your word, hear your truth. Father, my prayer is that it would be life-transforming. My prayer, Father, is that those of us who believe in your Son would be ignited. To take hold of your truth, to learn it, to dive deep into it, to let it transform our life, to be what we live for. May we order our steps in a way that we proclaim the gospel in everything that we do. For those in the room this morning who haven't, accepted you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would do that miracle this morning, God. It's by your power that we experience salvation. It's by your power that we're set free from the chains of our sin. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Would you stand?